This morning I would like to open up verse 9 of the 39th chapter of the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 39, and my text is verse 9 itself, or at least a portion of it. This is the words of Joseph to a very wicked woman. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? It is the last clause that I would like to look at after the colon this morning, really. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God. In our passage of Scripture, we actually see, if you were to read this, an incident in the life of young Joseph. Joseph, you remember, was one of Jacob's twelve sons. He was a well-favored son by his father. And uh, he was actually, though, well-hated by his brothers. And if you recall the history of the life of Joseph, he was hated by those brothers to an extent that one day when the opportunity presented itself to them, the brothers thought to dispose of young Joseph. They were going to kill him. But by the intervention of one of the brothers, under the hand of God, we would have to admit... He was rather, though, sold into slavery. And he ends up as a slave, in our context here, in verse 1, a slave to Potiphar. Notice in verse 1, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. So Joseph then became a slave to Potiphar. And as we see, the Lord, though, was with Joseph, and he prospered Joseph, and he prospered his master. And this master here has the wherewithal somehow to recognize this, and he is placed then, that is, Joseph, is placed over the household of Potiphar. And for a while, though, all seemed to go well. Joseph was leading. He was the overseer, as we see in verse 5, over this household. He was given great liberty. He was given, as it were, great power. And all seemed to be going well with young Joseph. Until... Potiphar's wife desired to work wickedness with young Joseph. Look at verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. And she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wanteth not what is with me in the house. And he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. 
Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee. We see here that Joseph is sorely tempted day by day by this evil, unfaithful wife. Jacob prophesied about Joseph, you remember, back in, or up in Genesis 49. He says there in one portion, the archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him. And that is certainly true here, isn't it? His brothers have hated him. Potiphar's wife, in reality, though she wanted to lie with him, hated his soul or she would not have wanted to do this. And we see, though, how that Joseph preserved his integrity, his chastity, in this evil circumstance in verse 9. But, I said, because thou art his wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? What I would like to preach on this morning is what I'm calling an answer to the call of temptation. So we don't have to guess what this is for a title. I don't normally title my sermons. But as I was thinking through this and uh, I thought this would be a very good way to look at it. This is basically the doctrine. An answer to the call of temptation. Now, the reason why I'm giving you this is because I want you to note carefully how I said that. Note carefully how I worded the title or the doctrine of this message. An answer to the call of temptation. Notice I said, first of all, an answer. I did not say here in my title, nor in the doctrine, nor do I see this taught in Scripture, that there is only one and one only answer to temptation. I am well aware that the Bible has much to say in regards to our fight and to our warfare and our warring against temptations. So I am not setting before you here the only way in which to deal with temptation. But it is a way. It is a lawful way. It is a biblical way. It is a way to which to battle temptation. In fact, I would say it is a necessary ingredient. Or, as we would say, it's a necessary piece of the armory or the weaponry in our warfare against sinful temptation that comes our way. So please understand that this morning. I'm not telling you here, look, just do this and everything will work out fine. That is not what I'm saying. I do not believe that. So please don't misunderstand me. Secondly, on the word of temptation, I know it can be used different ways in the Scripture, but the way in which I am meaning by it this morning in my message is that I am speaking of it in the sense of being tempted to do evil as we see here in the case of Joseph. Joseph was tempted by this wicked woman to sin with her. And so that's how I'm using the idea here of temptation. 
Not so much facing trials and adversity, the hardships of life, which in themselves can lead us to that, but I'm talking about a direct call, as it were, from temptation to come, sin with me. That's how I'm using the phrase or the term temptation this morning. And then the third thing I want us to note from this is I don't want it to, us to limit our temptation to do evil only to sexual impurity. That is, fornication and adultery. That was the sin that is set before us here. No doubt about that. And while these are great and wicked sins that we're to war against, and we ought to war against it with all the weapons of a warfare that we can, and these are terrible sins that we ought to be fighting against, But I want us to see here this morning, it's not just these sins I want you to see. Temptation comes in many different flavors and many different colors and many different varieties as far as sin is concerned. And while your temptation may not be these particular sins that are presented here unto Joseph, so what I want you to do this morning is I want you to make a mental note. Uh, Have a little blank space. Or blank space is, as the case may be. That your temptation is this. And then you write it in. You fill it in. And if it's that, that's great. I mean, it's not great. But I mean, if that's what you think it is, and that's your great temptation, then you put that in mentally. Make a little mental note. If it is something else... You fill in the blank space with whatever sin or sins that you might be faced with. Whether they're big sins or whether they're little sins. Whether they're the sins that come to you a lot or sins that come to you rarely. It may be the sin or the sins of omission. Or it may be the sin or the sins of commission. It matters not. You apply it. Will you do that for me this morning as I preach to you? Don't think it's just this sin that will call you. Because it's not. Most definitely it does. I think most of us have experienced this call from the world. But this is not all. So the first thing I want us to look at this morning as we do see an answer to the call of temptation. First of all this, Joseph's circumstances here did not exempt him from temptation. Joseph's circumstances did not exempt him from temptation. Joseph's young life at this point, you have to admit he had plenty of trials, didn't he? And yet, temptation to sin meets him here. You know, sometimes we have this strange idea that struggling in this world somehow would rule out other struggles. You know, just give me one at a time to handle. Uh, That would be nice, but it doesn't normally come that way, does it? They seem to come in droves. At least they do for me. It's just not so that they come one at a time. 
And while you may be laboring hard against some temptation here and another temptation there, don't be surprised if another one doesn't come right in your face. In fact, that's often how it will be in the midst of such great trials, such as trials not even dealing with sin, just the hardships of life, the sins of others. It was the sins of his brothers is why he's here. That great trials to the temptation to sin will come. It was the same with our Lord, was it not? He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and yet do we not find him in the wilderness being tempted by Satan himself? If he is not exempt, why do you think we will be exempt? And we may scream, well, it's just not fair that I have more than one. Get a grip on life, my friend. This is what you'll face the remainder of your life. Another thing we can see here is age. <coughs> age is no hindrance to temptation. Some say, well, I'm too young to be tempted. I'm too old to be tempted. I'm too middle-aged to be tempted. Not so, is it? Joseph is not much older than 17. The Lord Jesus was only 30 when he was led out to the wilderness to be tempted of Satan. Another thing we need to note here, Joseph's high station in life did not make him exempt from temptation to do evil. Notice this, he was raised to the position of overseer of Potiphar's house. Overseer. Everyone answered to Joseph. The only person Joseph had to answer to was Potiphar himself. Verse 5, And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had... Notice that. All that he had. Even he admits it in verse 9. There is none or greater in this house than I. He's kept nothing back from me but you. His master had given him the run of the house. All was committed into his hand. And yet, we see him Being tempted. Do you think success, my friend, will bring you away from temptation? There are people who vainly think this is so. That if I'm successful in life, you know, everything's going to be easier. I'm afraid usually that's when it gets worse. Your success will bring you more trials, more adversity. More temptations to sin. The call will come louder. Again, think of our Lord Jesus. True, He was man, but also He was the Son of God. That's a high position. And yet, Satan brought temptation to Him, didn't he? Another thing, faithfulness in our callings do not exempt us from temptations to sin. Faithfulness in our callings 
Do not exempt us from the call of temptation to sin. Joseph, again, was made overseer through the means of his faithful diligence. I realize it was all under God, but God made that young man to be very diligent. He was faithful in the household of Potiphar. That's how come he got noticed. God was blessing him. And he was very faithful. And one of the things we tell folks, be faithful in your callings. But be yet known that just because you're faithful doesn't mean there won't be temptations to sin. Temptations came to Joseph while he was in the midst of diligence and faithfulness in his calling to his master. So do not think, Christian, that if you are faithful before the Lord, that somehow you will miss the onslaughts of sin. I assure you, faithfulness, or excuse me, sin will find you in faithfulness. When you're struggling to get your mind on the things of God and the things of your business, if it's a lawful calling, don't be surprised if you don't hear the call to sin. Because it will come. Then fifthly, do not think if you're highly favored that you enjoy the high privileges of the Lord that He does give to His people and even to some of His people that this will exempt you from sin and temptations. Notice verse 2 again. It says there that the Lord was with Joseph and He was a prosperous man. In fact, the Lord prospers him so well that his master sees it. Verse 3. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. And that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. I would say Joseph is highly favored of God at this point. And yet temptation came knocking at his door. So don't just because you think, well, I'm one of the highly chosen of the Lord, that suddenly you're not going to be tempted, that you are not going to hear the call of temptation to you. Who do you think, and of all the world, who was the most highly favored of God? Who do you think it is? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He was highly favored of His heavenly Father. And was not the Spirit of God poured out upon Him? Doesn't the Bible say that He had the Spirit of God without measure? And does not Mark tell us, and immediately the Spirit driveth Him into the wilderness? And what does He find? Temptation. So you may think you're one of one of God's predestinarian pets. But don't think that that'll rule out temptations to you. And then don't think that temptation to sin or the call of temptation to sin will only be a one-time affair. Notice verse 10. 
And it came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day. It wasn't just once he presented, she presented herself to him. She did so every day. He resisted her. But back she came again. He resisted her. And then back she came. Can I show you our Lord again? Was He not in the wilderness? And how many times did Satan come to Him? Three times. So it will be with us, brethren. It will not just be one battle against temptation that we'll face. There will be many. It will be continual. Day by day, you see, they will come. The call will be there. Come sin with Me. Just as clear, just as precise, just as wicked as this woman. Come lie with Me. Even brethren, when they are successfully resisted, they can still keep up their pace. All of us know that by experience, don't we? Now that we've seen a little of the nature of temptation, let us now look to an answer to temptation. We've seen the call. We see that the call can come even in the most diligent of situations, the faithfulness of our situations, the highly favored we may be in things, the position, all of that. So we need to have an answer, don't we? We need to have an answer to call back to temptation when it comes calling for us. In Joseph's example, we see an answer when temptation comes and presents itself to us. But let's note a couple of things first. First of all, it seemed if the circumstances were very ripe for sin with Joseph. It was very ripe. And by that, children, I mean there was ever opportunity for temptation to succeed here with young Joseph. If you were to look at it carnally, by all rights, sin had him. By all rights, sin should have overcome him and took him and drug him down to hell. That's what Proverbs says will happen to the man who gets caught up in this sin. Think of this. Who would have known? Who would have known of Joseph's sin and Potiphar's wife? They were repeatedly alone. In fact, the last time when she has to scream, they come running. Why? Because they weren't around. He could have got away with it. They were... I like this one. They were consenting adults. She would have agreed, and he would have agreed. Consenting. That's the big catchword today, isn't it? And our society has caught it. Christians have believed it. They were consenting adults. So again, every opportunity 
to be successful in their sin was here. Notice, it was day-by-day contact. Necessary contact at that. This is where he worked. This was his job. This was his calling. So let me make a quick application to this. We see here how that even being in our own place of residence, our own place of duty, we can find temptation, can't we? But, how much more when we put ourselves in the known places of temptation where we don't belong? We're tempting God. See, Joseph was where he ought to have been in the providence of God. So, don't sit there and think, well, see, you could even fall down and break your neck in your own home. Thus, that's okay. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there are dangers in your home. But there are greater dangers when you go out where you don't belong. Secondly, as we were talking about a couple of things to note first, it's this. As we noted, temptations call for an answer. Now, let me presuppose here some possible wrong answers that we could and often sometimes we do give to temptations when it comes calling. I have 15 wrong answers to give. When temptation says, come sin with me, here are 15 dead wrong answers to give back to temptation. See if some of these or if all of these ring true to your conscience this morning. Now, there's no certain order. And some of these seem kind of silly. Until you sit and think, wait a minute, I've given that one. Here's the first one. When temptation calls, we answer back, I'll just give in. I won't fight. I won't battle. When temptation comes, I'm its willing servant. Now, we may not say those words. We may not audibly say, Okay, come here. Hurry, hurry before I forget it. No, we may actually... We just don't put up a fight at all. You see, whether we say those words, the results are still the same, isn't it? Secondly, we could answer back... Well, let me play for a season. I'll just play with this sin just just for a little while. Not long. And then suddenly you find out that that season turned out to be a lot longer than you would have ever imagined, imagined. It suddenly was not a short season, but it was a long season. And then it became seasons. Until it has gained the mastery of you. And then it takes you down to hell. Forever. But it only started out with just a short time. And then it's eternal. Thirdly, I think 
when sin calls. I'll tell it. I'll have both the best of both worlds. I can have holiness and I can have sin. There are people who think that. That I can do both. I can love mammon, to use an illustration. I can love mammon and I can love God. You can't. You can't. You can't. You can't. But that's what oftentimes we yell back when temptation calls. Number four, I'm strong. Nothing to worry about. They forget about the exhortation. Take heed. Lest you fall. Another one. It won't hurt to go forth in this or that temptation. I mean, after all, it's a small, little bitty sin. How can it hurt? Let me just... just, just It's just a sin. It's just a little one. Let me... Come on. Quick. It's just a little one. It won't take long. I'll get over it. That's what we think. And then we'll give Eve's answer to temptation. Yea, hath God said? Yea, hath God said? Did He really? Does His Word really say that? You know it does. Just this sin here. You know, uh, we were talking after the lesson a while ago about natural law or the law that dwells in our heart. How did Joseph, no, this was a sin. Ten Commandments haven't been given yet. For you antinomians among us, those of you who are anti-law, don't think the law has bearing on the life of a Christian today, tell me how he knew this was a sin. What made it a sin? The law had not been given. And Paul plainly tells us in Romans 5, where there's no law, there's no sin then how could he know this was a sin? Well, the answer is it was written in his heart. God had put that right on his heart like a stamp that said adultery is sin. It couldn't be erased. That's just a side note on that one. But oftentimes, this is the answer we give back. Sin comes calling, come play with me. Yeah, but God really say that? And then we go headlong. And then we have sin now and repent later attitude. Let me have my sin. And then tomorrow, after a little bit of guilt, I'll repent. As if somehow the ability to repent lies within the heart of man. And it does not. That is why it is so hard to repent. That's why you struggle with repentance. Why I struggle with repentance. Because it ain't in me. And it ain't in you apart from grace. But we'll give this call back. Sin now and I'll just take care of it later. 
I want to have my fun and then I'll pay the consequences at another time or I'll repent at another time. That's an attitude we have. And then another one is just plain ignorance of what a sin is. So doesn't that contradict what you said? Well, no, we can sear our conscience. Sometimes we just don't know right from wrong. Or we don't want to know right from wrong, most likely is the case. And then, there is the call we'll give. Well, I'll never get caught. Just like Joseph, we were saying here, oh, how he could have gotten away with it. And this is one of the driving forces in sin, is the idea you'll not get caught. And you'll risk it all, because you don't think you'll get caught. No one will know. No one sees. And so I take the sin and I put it in my bosom and off I go. No one will know it. Not my wife, not my husband, not my children, not my parents, not my boss, not my pastor, not my flock. But oh, how wrong we are. Be sure your sin will find you out. It has, hasn't it? Found you out. Found you out. It knows. God knows. And now we know. And yet you had the foolish idea. The foolish answer back was, I'll never get caught. And then... Others do it. We talked this morning about how bad examples hurt us and hurt others. And so oftentimes when we sin, see sin coming and it begins to beckon to us, come, come, we say, well, others are doing it. And they're alright. They're enjoying life. They're being blessed. They can do it. Why can't I? Others are doing it. That's our excuse. That's our call back. That's our answer. Another one is we forget the exhortations and the chastisements regarding sin. We forgot what it felt like to have our backsides beaten by God at times. And that's why, brethren, that's a, that's a legitimate one. I mean, it's a real one because that's why Paul in Hebrews chapter 12 says, don't forget the chastening of the Lord. You have forgotten it. And he reminds them again from Proverbs that whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth and scourgeth every son. So we forget these exhorts. A brother talked the other day about when he was preaching about we need to be exhorting one another daily. Why? Because we are so apt to forget. We forget. Forget. So there's the beat of reminder to us. And then, this is the one kind of I was brought up with. We wait for some mystical deliverance from sin. We wait for some kind of a feeling to come over us before we recognize I need to get out of this or I need to say no. And if you know if I don't get that feeling, then it must be okay to do it somehow. We reason it out. I don't know how we do it. Or we expect some supernatural deliverance. At the last moment, I just know God's going to put His hand down and He's going to miraculously stop me. 
This is exactly what Satan used with our Lord Jesus. That very thing. In Luke 4, you don't have to turn there, but in Luke chapter 4, we see that very answer back by, from Satan. He says there, And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. The devil saying, God will miraculously intervene here. He will send his angels and protect you. What does the Lord Jesus say? You're right. That's the Bible. That's not what he says. The next verse says, And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So if you're waiting for some mystical deliverance or for some supernatural uh, uh, deliverance from God, it's not going to come. You are tempting. You have already sinned. You've already tempted God. God killed thousands of the Israelites for tempting God. So don't look for that. Don't let that be a call back. And then another one is, I'm too weary. I'm too tired. I hear this one a lot from me. But I also hear it from y'all. Some of... It's, it's, I'm just too weary. I'm too tired. I work too many hours. I work too hard of a job. I do this. I do that. I got this on my mind. It doesn't matter. They're all excuses. They're, we're too weary. And they forget again the exhortation in chapter 12 of Hebrews. When you get faint, you better start considering Christ. In fact, if you're already faint, that's because you haven't been considering Christ. I know what you think when you're tired. It's what you're not thinking of Christ. Because that keeps you from being weary in mind. That's what he says. That's the promise of Hebrews 12. Look it up if you don't believe me. And then lastly, number 15. Well, I'm going to answer this call to sin by sinning because you know what? It's just going to be a good learning experience with me. I can learn so much from me dilly-dallying in this sin. And boy, I can explain this now to others. I can be a big help to their Christian walk. You know what? You see a lot of this in the high-profile so-called Christian leaders of our day. They fall into some great sin and then they turn around and write a book about the experience. That's the mentality they have. They don't treat sin as it, as it is what it really is. So, those are 15 wrong answers, 15 false answers. What then is the true answer that Joseph gives to the call of temptation to sin? It's in verse 9. The last part. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That's the answer. When sin comes knocking, there's the temptation at the door. You answer back. 
How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Notice here he says it's great wickedness. And secondly, it's sin against God. You see, look, here's what stopped Joseph dead in his tracks to temptation. It was, first of all, that this sin that this woman wanted him to commit, and I dare say any sin in its truest view, is a great wickedness. Brethren, you need to see this this morning, that the sin that is coming knocking at your door is a great wickedness. And it's a great wickedness in light of several things. Joseph just doesn't say it off the bat here, does he? He's not saying this off the cuff. Read the context. It's beautiful. He talks about, look, I have all these privileges that have been granted to me by your mas- by my Master. He's given me the run of the household. There is none greater in this house than I. And He's kept nothing back from me. What great privilege I've had. That's what made this a great wickedness. Some of you here this morning have been so blessed and you don't recognize it. And so sin then isn't so bad. Not only that, but notice she belonged to another. This woman belonged to Potiphar. He had everything but her, Joseph did. It's not mine. It's not mine. And you men who are struggling with this sin of of mental fornication with other women, let me tell you now, they are not yours. They do not belong to you. They either belong to that woman's father or it belongs to her husband. They are not yours. Put it away. It's a great wickedness. And then thirdly, his master. And I'm not talking about God. Yes, God was his master, but... He recognizes here his earthly master. And so when he puts these three things together, this is why he says, this is a great wickedness. How then can I do this great wickedness? He predicates that statement on what he just said. There is none greater in this house than I, neither he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness? See the flow of thought? Unfortunately, you'll sit here and say that doesn't mean anything. And there you go. And that's why you are going to miss it. You won't see the importance of this. Importance of why we need to see it as great. It's a great wickedness. In light of privileges, in light of the grace of God, in light of whom we belong to and what sin belongs to. And then notice the second part. It is sin against God. 
Brethren, here is a great answer against temptation's call. It's sin against God. It's true, it was sin against His Master. Verse 8, Oh, my Master. No doubt about it. It was sin against her. But it was sin against God. How profound this is, isn't it? How simple. I know, you want all the bells and the whistles to stop you from saying, you're like Naaman. You know, where's all the, the fanfare? Why don't you come out and stomp your feet and scream and yell and do some religious chanting and make this work? You want some excitement in this instead of just what the Bible says. It's a sin against God. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Brethren, how we need to be resolved. How there needs to be such resolve in us. Here is a young man, 17, barely. And he has such a resolve. What does that say for you who have been Christians for years? Years you've been Christians. Made a profession. Having godly influences all about you. Do you show forth this? Shame on us. Shame on us. And how we need to view temptations to be the sin that they are in their proper, biblical, and true light. It's great wickedness and it's sin against God. David found this out, didn't he? The hard way. In his prayer, as we mentioned here in his psalm that he gave us, as we were looking at it a few weeks ago, he says, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Joseph says, How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Wickedness and sin against God. We need to see that every sin, whether it's a small sin or it is this sin here of fornication and adultery, my brethren, it is sin against God. The lie that you told, the evil thought, the purloining or stealing that you do at your employers, the sins of omission, they're sins against God. Not being faithful, diligent, Hardworking, faithful in the things of God even. It's sin against God. It's against His law. It's against His Word. It's against His providence. It's against His goodness. It's against His grace. It's against His Christ. And it's against His Spirit. All of those are biblical. And does this not sound, when we look back at this text, doesn't this sound like a reasonable answer to sin's temptation? Is this unreasonable for me to ask of this of you today? That when sin comes knocking, you need to say, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And we have to believe that it's a reasonable request Or we won't do it. And so, temptation will call stronger until we actually give in. And when one sin 
happens, there will come more. And sins, you see, open, someone says, the floodgates to more sin. Think of this. No one, not even including yourself, no one stops at one sin. Do they? Did David commit adultery? He deceived. And then he murdered. Did he stop with one? Peter? How many times did he deny the Lord? Once? Twice? Three times? Did it stop with one? It didn't, did it? Does one sin really ever suffice us? It doesn't, does it? And brethren, we need to do the violence to sin that it was trying to do to us. Treat it as the enemy that it needs to be, or that it is, and to be slain. And don't give in. Joseph's Lesson here is today is don't give in to sin and to temptation to sin. Instead, you give it the answer that it deserves. Loud and strong. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That's what you have to do. You have to deal this seriously, this sober with sin. Because it's dealing very seriously and very sober-minded with you. Every day. Every moment. And then look and flee to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to the One who was so very successful against the temptation to sin. When Satan called on Christ to sin, he answered him boldly, distinctly, and faithfully. So you look to him. As soon as you have said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You flee to the Savior. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Can I read that again to you? This is Hebrews 2, verse 18. For in him, for in him that he himself, excuse me, for in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Are you tempted this morning? Are you tempted day to day? Then look to Him. See the sin. Call it what it is. Call back. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against my God? And then flee to Christ. The only one 